I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. Congressman Dan Goldman of New York is in his first term and has already seen a lot. On September 30th, he was among the Democrats who helped the House pass a short-term funding bill to keep the government open. A week later, on October 7th in Tel Aviv, Congressman Goldman and his family found themselves sheltering in their hotel stairwell as air raid sirens ogred the worst terror attack ever on the Israeli people. Today, Israel is at war and the House has a new speaker. In this wide-ranging conversation first recorded on October 31st for Washington Post Live, Congressman Dan Goldman explains why Hamas must be removed from Gaza. This is not uh, any effort by Israel or the United States um, to harm innocent Palestinians. In fact, removing Hamas is will be to the benefit of the Palestinian people. And that's what I think gets lost here. This has nothing to do with genocide. This has nothing to do with ethnic cleansing. This has nothing to do with occupation, colonization, apartheid, any of that stuff. And he sounds off on new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. There's a reason that Donald Trump calls him MAGA Mike, because that is who he is. So it's been three weeks since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Israel says it is uh, in the second stage of its war on Hamas. Yesterday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected calls for a ceasefire. Your thoughts on that and on what all of this means for the more than 230 hostages being held by Hamas? Yeah, well, that's where you need to start with this conversation, which is that this is Hamas is a terrorist organization that brutally slaughtered, raped, tortured, and kidnapped um, more than 1,500 Israelis uh, out of the blue on October 7th. Um, some of the photos and reports of what they did are subhuman, and it just continues to... Uh, emphasize and, and certify, really, exactly what Hamas's mission is, which is simply to destroy Israel and to kill Jews. So Hamas is not any kind of organization. It's not even a government, but certainly not any anything that anyone can agree will be invested in a peace process. And so Israel's statement, as well as uh, the president and mine and many others that Hamas must be eliminated is is right at the top of the list of things that uh, we need to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, the immediate concern are these hostages. There are now 239 hostages, including 30 children. There was a nine month old baby who was taken who had not even been weaned off uh, the mother's her mother's milk. And they remain three weeks later as hostages, the International Red Cross has not been allowed in to check on their health, which is normally required by international law. But of course, we know that Hamas is a terrorist organization and does not abide by any international law. So Israel's right to defend itself is absolute here, and it must be able to uh, execute uh, its own strategy for defending its own borders and its own people and getting hostages back. And it will, of course, do that in conjunction with the United States, uh, which has uh, thankfully, in my view, and through President Biden's incredibly strong support, uh, made very clear that the United States stands by its democratic ally, Israel, in this existential fight for its security. 
Well, you know, over the weekend, the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, said it's up to Israel to distinguish between Hamas terrorists who are military targets and civilians who clearly are, are not. Do you think the Israeli Defense Force is doing an adequate job of that? Well, we are certainly aware of a number of different ways that uh, the IDF is trying to warn civilians about impending attacks. That, of course, is unhelpful to any military strategy because it also warns the terrorists of pending attacks. But Israel has taken uh, significant measures to make sure that civilians are notified of potential um, attacks on Hamas targets. Hamas goes out of its way to prevent and discourage its own citizens and innocent civilians from leaving. And it does that in part consistent with its placement of its military infrastructure and weapons uh, under hospitals, within civilian communities, in schools, solely designed to use Palestinian civilians as human shields. And so as long as Israel continues to provide that warning uh, and continues to target military targets, Hamas military targets, then Israel is abiding by the laws of armed conflict, and it is incumbent upon Hamas to allow its people to heed the warnings of Israel. Let me bring up a, an audience question from Michigan, Michael from Michigan. How do we help Israel respond to Hamas without killing innocent Palestinians? So many innocent people are losing their lives. It's a great question, and it's absolutely heartbreaking to see um, the, the photos of innocent Palestinians, um, children uh, dying from this uh, horrific war. Um, I think I and everyone else uh, wish that Hamas had not invaded Israel on October 7th to start this war. And we wish that Hamas would provide the fuel and electricity and food and water that it surely possesses to the civilians to make sure that they can survive. And I certainly wish that Hamas would allow the civilians to leave their military targets and not use them as human shields. Um, Israel, of course, as a democratic country that abides by the rule of law and the laws of armed conflict, even if Hamas doesn't, must continue to take every precaution they can to protect innocent civilians. But the simple fact of civilians dying does not mean that Israel is uh, breaking international laws of war. And that is, I think, very important for us to keep in mind. There are 239 hostages who Hamas, that Hamas has not turned over. They have not even given back the women and children. Um, they have not allowed anyone in there, as I said, and they continue to hold out uh, and refuse to turn them over. This all could end right now if Hamas would, would release the hostages and put down their weapons and surrender, and no more innocent Palestinians would be killed. Congressman, do we have any idea, we meaning the United States, any idea where the hostages actually are? Well, it does appear as if Israel um, has some intelligence, and I say that only because they were able to rescue um, a hostage a couple days ago. 
which, you know, is obviously very difficult uh, when you don't know where they are and you're trying, you have military targets to make sure that you don't injure a hostage if you're doing a raid. So um, I have no personal information. Um, and uh, I don't think certainly the families of the hostages that I have spoken to uh, have gotten no word or indication about their own loved ones who are held hostage. So it is possible that the Israeli intelligence has some idea, but I suspect they are deep in the tunnels that Hamas has spent billions of dollars of uh, money that should have gone to the Palestinian citizens for their own terror network. And uh, it will be very difficult to get them, but each day they are there. Of course, that means that there's a slightly less chance of them coming home alive. Congressman, I, I interviewed recently Ben Rhodes, the former deputy national security advisor under President Obama. And he talked very passionately about the need for a, quote, humanitarian pause, um, a, a pause that would allow food supplies, food, water, to get into Gaza, but also that pause making it possible for there to be some, the beginnings of either conversations or a pause in the in the overall fighting to bring this to the Israel-Hamas war to a resolution. would love to get your reaction to the idea of a humanitarian pause. Look, I, I, I think part of what Ben is saying is true, which is um, that the international community Egypt in particular, since it shares a border with Gaza, uh, the United States, Israel, need to make sure that the basic necessities of food, water, and medical supplies get to the uh, Gazan people. Um, there is concern on Israel's side that the Hamas will take these supplies as they did during the first week. But regardless, that's where uh, we need Hamas to, to certify that and to uh, be able to make sure that these the supplies get to the people and Egypt needs to play an active role. We also need Egypt to be very involved in creating safe zones. They will not accept any Palestinian refugees, um, which is you know something that I, I'm disappointed about. But if they won't accept them, then they need to make sure that they are creating uh, and protecting safe zones in southern Gaza so that the refugees from the north can have shelter, can get food, and can get uh, water. The The problem I have with what Ben is saying is he is assuming that diplomatic negotiations are not going on. And I think what is very clear uh, is that there was a two-week um, waiting period before Israel went in on the ground when we know there were extensive negotiations through Qatar to try to release the hostages. Um, and Hamas did not agree to do that. And I, I'm not familiar with exactly what was the negotiations, but we've tried that and it hasn't worked. So I don't understand why one would think that continuing to do that uh, would yield any more success. And for us to prescribe how Israel should defend itself after the worst terrorist attack against it in history uh, is, is a little hypocritical. I don't think anyone was saying to the United States, oh, you, you should not go after Al-Qaeda after 9-11. Um, and so I do think we have to understand that the right to defend yourself, uh, as is Israel's and everybody acknowledges it, 
means that they have a right to military to conduct military operations. And as long as they're making sure that humanitarian aid is getting in for the innocent civilians, then uh, and they are, I believe, you know, pausing their their military operations when the trucks are coming in and when they're being unloaded. So that is already happening. Uh, and I, I called for that last week as well, because I do think that is essential to make sure that those innocent civilians get the basic needs that they want. But it's not just Israel's responsibility. It must be a, a holistic approach to ensuring that the aid gets in, it gets unloaded, and it gets to the people who need it. Uh, on Monday, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, spoke to his nation and rejected calls rejected calls for a, cease, for a ceasefire, um, has also called this uh, Israel's, I think, I believe he, he called it the second war of independence. Um, it makes me wonder, though, once this, is, well, before I get to the what's, what's next question, a lot of focus has been on when, the, you know, when the ground invasion is going to happen. Listening to your, listening to your last answer sort of gives credence to something um, that was said over the weekend, and that is basically we have to stop thinking of this in conventional terms because, for all intents and purposes, the ground, the so-called ground invasion, is already happening. And I heard you say, you know, the operations that are underway. So, uh, am I hearing it correctly that you too believe that the ground invasion that we've all been looking for has been underway for for days now? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know the specifics of exactly what is happening on the ground. Uh, it, obviously, there are Israeli troops who have gone into Gaza, um, and the government of Israel has made it clear that um, they are uh, going to enter Gaza. It's unclear to what extent this invasion is, to what extent this uh, ground operation will go to. And uh, certainly there have been a number of people who have uh, experts in this area, including United States generals, who have been consulting with Israel about their own military strategy to make sure that it's as effective um, as possible. But I think it is, is just misplaced to say that Israel needs to unilaterally declare a ceasefire when a couple of things remain true. First of all, Hamas continues to indiscriminately send rockets into Israel that would kill uh, innocent civilians, but for the missile defense system Iron Dome, which is able to uh, intercept more than 95% of those rockets. But the point of those rockets, of course, is to continue the war from Hamas's angle. And the second thing is, why are we asking Israel to do a ceasefire when Hamas has not turned over the hostages. It is entirely backwards that we should be holding Israel to some uh, double standard that they should not use their right to self-defense when Hamas continues to hold hostages, including American hostages. And so the calls should be right now from the international community that Hamas needs to release these hostages immediately. If that's the case, then we can talk about uh, having a ceasefire and maybe a diplomatic solution to this. But until then, uh, it is, uh, I think, grossly 
misplaced to uh, call for Israel to uh, enter into a ceasefire. So given that answer, um, um, you disagree with um, your fellow House members, Congresswomen Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, 16 others who've sent a letter or joined a, joined a resolution calling on the White House to support an immediate ceasefire. You disagree with that completely. I do. I agree with the 420 or so uh, other members of the House uh, that signed on to and uh, voted for a resolution uh, last week to condemn Hamas and to support Israel. And I think if you do believe that Hamas should be condemned for its horrific terrorist attack and that Israel has a right to self-defense, then you cannot also call for uh, requiring a ceasefire from Israel because uh, that that essentially neutralizes their right to self-defense. So, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, out there, Jonathan, about what is really going on. This is not the continuation of the cycle of conflict that we've had in the Middle East. This is not uh, any effort by Israel or the United States um, to harm innocent Palestinians. In fact, removing Hamas is will be to the benefit of the Palestinian people. And that's what I think gets lost here. This has nothing to do with genocide. This has nothing to do with ethnic cleansing. This has nothing to do with occupation, colonization, apartheid, any of that stuff. Hamas has been in control of Gaza, solely in control. Israel withdrew everything, army, settlements, everything that it had in Gaza in 2005. Hamas took over in 2007. It is the government of Gaza, uh, unrestrained, other than to make sure that Israel's security is okay and that uh, weapons are not smuggled in. And Gaza and Hamas has failed to cultivate a proper government and a flourishing, uh, flourishing economy and to provide the necessary infrastructure for its people. It has instead taken billions of dollars simply to fund its terror network because in its charter, its sole objective is to eliminate Israel and to kill Jewish people. And that is not any organization that can be uh, a peace partner or can be a, a future partner in the security of Israel. So Hamas cannot remain in control and we saw why on October 7th. And so to, to claim that it is anything other than a uh, self-defense against a terrorist organization is patently false. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we talk more fully about the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, what do you think of his effort to pass a standalone Israel aid bill this week, despite calls by the White House, uh, the Senate, both the Republican minority leader and the Senate majority, Democratic Senate majority leader, and the White House for a broader package that would include aid to Ukraine? Well, look, I, I think there are two major problems with uh, the Republican bill. The first, as you point out, is that it strips out humanitarian aid. It strips out Ukraine funding. It strips out funding for our other allies, including Taiwan. And it strips out uh, the significant amount of money that the White House has requested for border security, which, as you know, Jonathan, we are hearing about ad nauseum from our my Republican colleagues about how the border is open. Well, this supplemental package by the White House would send billions and billions of dollars to the border to protect our border and to uh, make sure that 
we uh, properly process uh, and, and do the best we can under the current situation to fix our immigration system, which Congress really has to do. And there was a great uh, op-ed in, in the Washington Post, in your newspaper by Secretary Mayorkas, which addressed this request. So these are all consistent national security issues where we are supporting democracies around the world. And you cannot differentiate from your support of Israel uh, than your support of uh, Ukraine, because it is democracies fighting against authoritarians or terrorists. Secondly, and I think this is the most disappointing aspect of this bill, is that uh, the Republicans have not only provided the support for Israel, but in an unprecedented way for emergency uh, national security support, they have also included in this bill a rescission of $14 billion that was included in the Inflation Reduction Act last Congress that would go to the IRS so that the IRS could enforce our tax laws any better. And putting aside the fact that this bill will actually increase our deficit because we will, get, we will generate fewer, less tax revenue, it is also an incredibly cynical political ploy by the Republicans to use Israel as a political wedge to try to undo some of the things that the Democrats accomplished uh, last Congress. And Israel and our support for Israel should be a unified thing uh, where we can all get behind Israel under the circumstances, our democratic ally in the Middle East and one of our most important allies. And instead, the Republicans are using it as a political cudgel, knowing that it will not get through the Senate or the uh, signed by the president, but just simply trying to divide the Congress and undermine support for Israel. And Israel will be the worse off for it, because if Iran sees, if China sees, if Russia sees that there is an overwhelming bipartisan support for Israel, they will take that message back and that will buoy their own view of their efforts to undermine democracy around the world. So it is, uh, it is really unfortunate and cynical um, to use Israel as a political wedge as the Republicans are. All right, so let's let's talk about Speaker Mike Johnson uh, more fully, shall we? You have said the Republican from Louisiana is, quote, squarely a part of the extreme MAGA right. Do you see any areas of common ground? Not if he is going to continue to push the positions that he has taken uh, on abortion, where he is a sponsor of three bills that would uh, be ban abortion nationwide, or on LGBTQ rights, where he has spent his entire career uh, trying to limit rights of the LGBTQ community, including marriage equality. Um, if he is going to push forward with his number one objective, as he has been on record saying, which is to cut Social Security and Medicare, and if he is also going to be a uh, a thinker and a strategist to overturn elections and undermine our democracy as he was in 2020, uh, he is squarely aligned with Donald Trump and the MAGA wing. And there's a reason that Donald Trump calls him MAGA Mike, because that is who he is. So he has an opportunity to change course now that he is no longer a backbencher, just simply talking about the policies of his own district, 
but he is the head of the Republican Party and the leader of the House of Representatives. He can try to unify uh, the entire House because there are a number of things that there is broad bipartisan support for. But I am certainly discouraged by his first action in using Israel aid as a political ploy um, against the Democrats. Uh, and that, that does not bode well for where he intends to go. Um, we've got a few minutes left, and I want to squeeze in two more questions. One of them is from, um, is from the audience, Agnes Haidt. Uh, in Virginia. This gets to something you just mentioned. Her question is, with the upcoming presidential election expected to be close and the new speaker having led an effort to subvert the last presidential election, what actions can be taken to prevent this from happening again in the House? Well, there are a, a number of actions that we would like to take uh, on the Democratic side. There are numerous bills that would strengthen our democracy, would promote free and fair elections, would expand voting rights, and would prevent uh, anyone from unilaterally, in any state, from overturning the, uh, the results and the votes of the people. Um, our courts remain, you know, a buttress as they were in 2020, but it is dangerous. It is very dangerous to imagine that Speaker Mike Johnson could be the leader of the House of Representatives when he voted uh, against certifying the election the last time based on no evidence whatsoever. And this is a real danger. And those who are voting in 2024 need to recognize that that is what is on the ballot. And uh, that is what is ultimately uh, may determine whether or not uh, he has an opportunity to try to overturn the election and undermine and decertify the electoral college. So this is incredibly important right now. Um, and we need to put pressure on the Republicans to make sure that they do not uh, fabricate evidence to try to overturn a free and fair election as they did in 2020. And, and one thing for, for Agnes Haidt, the Electoral, the Electoral Count Reform Act uh, of 2022 was signed into law by President Biden. And you can just Google search that and you'll see all the things little things that were done that could hopefully prevent what happened in 2020, in 20, to the 2020 election happening to the 2024 election. Congressman, last question for you in the time that we have left. The continuing resolution that prevented the government from shutting down on October 1st expires in 18 days on November 17th. Um, the House is only slated to be in session for four of those, <laughs> four of those days. The government's going to shut down, isn't it? Uh, well, they've changed the schedule. So uh, we will be back in tomorrow for three days and then next week for huh. four days. Um, and we'll continue to work right up through the November 17th. Um, but again, Mike Johnson voted against the continuing resolution that kept the government open on uh, October 1st. Um, he has indicated that he would be willing to uh, maintain, keep the government open while they move through um, their dreadful appropriations process where they are trying to cut services and programs for the vast majority of American people by as much as 30%. Um, they will continue to push that through. And I think if they can do that, they may end up uh, keeping the government open in order to finish that uh, that work. 
Um, but it, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, Mike Johnson is not somebody who who believes in continuing resolutions. And there are a number of Republicans who do not think it will matter if the government shuts down. And that's a scary thought. Um, we actually have a few more minutes left. And I can't have you here as a former lead counsel um, to the first Trump impeachment and a former federal prosecutor to get you to get your thoughts on a few things involving the former president. Um, what do you make of Judge Chutkin reimposing her gag order on Donald Trump and the former president's willingness to push the envelope on the limitations imposed by that gag order? Could you, do you see any kind of scenario where Judge Chutkin puts Donald Trump in jail for violating um, her strictures on the gag or, uh, limited gag order? I think if he repeatedly flouts it and violates the gag order, it is definitely not out of the question for Judge Shutkin to put him in jail if there are repeated violations. And let's remember, this is, when we say limited gag order, uh, this is very specific to this case. This is very specific to the people involved, whether it be the prosecutors, the judge, or the witnesses uh, to prohibit witness intimidation. This is not limiting Donald Trump's free speech to talk about whatever he wants. It's just limiting his ability to threaten people involved with this case. And if he can't do that, then he should go to jail because that is a complete violation of our criminal justice system. And that is an attempt to interfere in the proper execution and proper process of justice. And so I think there would have to be repeated violations, but it's not at all out of the question. Congressman Dan Goldman of the 10th District of New York, thank you very much for coming to Washington Post Live. It's great to be with you as always, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to K-Part. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan K-Part. You can find me on Twitter at KpartJ. part